Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to the official podcast of First Alliance Church in Great Falls, Montana, creating passionate followers of Christ. Today's message is from one of our elders. Our scripture reading for today is taken from Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, and then I'm going to jump to verses 12 through 17. You can follow along with me on the screen if you would like. Now Paul approved of putting Stephen to death, and on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and mourned loudly for him, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and he would drag away men and women and put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went through places preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he began proclaiming the Christ to them. The crowds were paying attention with one mind to what was being said by Philip. As they heard and saw the signs which he was performing, For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed or limped on crutches were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now a man named Simon had previously been practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And all the people from small to great were paying attention to him, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they were paying attention to him because for a long time he had astonished them with his magic arts. But they were believing Philip as he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were being baptized. Now even Stephen himself, or excuse me, excuse me, Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, He was repeatedly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, (coughs) excuse me, had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed with them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon them, they had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask you in the name of Jesus that you pour your spirit out on each and every one of us. And Father, that you draw us closer to yourself. Help us, Father, to recognize truth. Help us, Father, to recognize your truth. And Father, we ask you, Lord, that you make us each one worthy and that you fill us each with your Holy Spirit. We thank you. Father, I pray for my voice today as I have a frog in my throat and I just ask you to help me with that. And I thank you in Jesus' name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My friends, technically, technically speaking, the things that we believe are called doctrine. The proofs of the accuracy of what we believe are the proofs that are found in God's word, the Holy Scriptures. Scripture should be our sole source of doctrine and practice. We are not to be a people who believe or disbelieve something in God's word because we have not experienced it. We are, a be, we are to be a people who believe and practice this statement, God said it, I believe it, I may not understand it, but I do believe it. 
What makes our scripture reading, oh, thank you. What makes our scripture reading difficult is that verse 12 tells us that both men and women were believing Philip's teaching about the good news of the kingdom of God and of Jesus. And verse 12 goes on to say that those new believers were being baptized, meaning water baptized, but it was not until Peter and John came down to Samaria did the believers receive the Holy Spirit. This is a tad bit problematic because many Christians today believe that when they receive Jesus as Savior, they got all there is to get. They got saved and they received the fullness of the Spirit and that's it. That was all that God had to offer, but that, but that is certainly not what our scripture reading for today is teaching. Acts 8 is teaching that the fullness of the Holy Spirit came after these believers came to know Jesus as their Savior. Furthermore, there are other places in scripture that teach the same thing or something very similar. Acts 10.42 talks about how Peter witnessed to the Gentiles and then the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. Acts 18 verses 24 and 25 tell us about Apollos. It says he was a learned man, mighty in scripture, fervent in spirit, having been taught in the ways of the Lord, and he taught accurately about Jesus. This is teaching that Apollos was one of the early Christians, but Acts tells us that he was only acquainted with the baptism of John until Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and explained to him more accurately the way of God. Then in Acts 19, 2 through 8, we see that Paul finds 12 brethren in Ephesus who had apparently been taught the way of Jesus by Apollos. And when Paul arrives, there must, he must have sensed something because he asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit. These brethren answer no. And verse 8 tells us that Paul laid hands on them and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. The problem is further compounded by verses like Acts 4, 8 that tell us that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and Acts 4.31 that says the disciples were filled with the, problem, with the Holy Spirit. The problem is that those two events took place weeks, maybe even months after Acts 2 when the disciples were initially baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then we see, then we have the example of Paul in Acts 9.17 when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not hard for me to see why there is confusion about what it means to be baptized in or filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, what I'd like to do today is share with you what I believe Scripture is teaching us about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In order to understand more fully what God is wanting to teach us, we need to understand that Scripture teaches us that we human beings can exist in three different spiritual conditions. The following diagrams are taken from Campus Crusade for Christ and illustrate the three spiritual condition of, conditions of every human being that exists or ever has existed on the face of the earth. The first is the natural human being. This is someone who has not received Jesus Christ as their savior. As the diagram illustrates, Christ, as illustrated by the cross, is on the outside of this person's life. The chair represents the throne of this person's life. Who is in control? Who or what is ruling in this person's life? This person is controlled by their wants and their desires, their decisions and their actions represented by all those dots around the chair. 
are controlled by their self or their ego. This often results in frustration because they are not fulfilling a basic need of every human being. Pascal, the 17th century philosopher, mathematician, and theologian once said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only God the creator made known through Jesus Christ can fill that God-shaped vacuum. My friends, in this simple statement of Pascal's, we see why people who, are, who have not given their hearts and lives to Jesus are consumed with passions that incompletely satisfy. In 1 Corinthians 2.4, Paul says this, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him or her, and he or she cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Second, we have the Christian who Paul refers to as carnal or fleshly. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, And I, brethren and sisters, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but only as fleshly, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to consume it. But even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like ordinary people? This is a person who has received Christ as their savior. You can see in the diagram that Jesus is in the sphere of their life, but Jesus is not on the throne of their life. Other than the fact that this person has prayed to accept Jesus as their savior, they live their life similar to how the natural person lives their life. And because of that, they often experience the same frustrations, depression, and lack of victory that, the, that is experienced by the natural person. They, are not filled with God, they have not filled God, the, their God-shaped vacuum with God. The carnal or fleshly Christian's life is often characterized by unbelief and disobedience, a poor prayer life, a lack of desire to study God's word or have regular devotions. This person's life is often characterized by a legalistic attitude or critical spirit along with jealousy and aimlessness and worry and discouragement and the loss of love for God and for others. Paul says that these fleshly or carnal Christians are not different. They are just like everyone else that lives in Corneth. And Paul says that's not the way it should be. Last week... I jokingly gave my Sunday school class a science fiction quiz. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here that likes science fiction but me, and please don't hold it against me that I do. But here's the quiz. Are you ready? What does one Mandalorian say to another Mandalorian? Anybody? This is the way. This is the way. But, my friends, the Apostle Paul would also say there is a way. But it's certainly not the way of the Mandalorian. It is the way of the cross. The way of the cross is different than the way of the world. Acts 11.26 tells us that the people who lived in Antioch first called the followers of Jesus Christians. It was not a complimentary term. It meant that those followers of Jesus were his disciples. They were like their crucified master. They were different. They were like Jesus. My friends, for Paul, everything is about the cross. And Paul teaches that the way of the cross 
should make us different. Thirdly, we have the spiritual Christian. This is the person who desires to make Galatians 2.20 a fact in their life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The spiritual person is a person who, is, who has taken ego or self off the throne of their life and allowed Jesus to be on the throne. This is the person who recognizes that the Christ life is not I, but Jesus. This is the person who believes John 10.10 that Jesus came to bring life and that life is to be an an abundant life in Jesus. The spiritual person believes that Jesus is the vine and she or he are the branches. They believe that their very life is sustained by Jesus. This person believes that the goal of their life is to abide in Jesus and only in Jesus. And in only in Jesus can they bear much fruit. For apart from Jesus, they believe that they can do nothing. The spiritual person believes that the fruit of the Spirit is love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they desire above all else that the Holy Spirit would manifest these qualities in their life. The spiritual person believes that when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they will receive power to be witnesses for Jesus first in their own home, then in their neighborhood, then in their town, in their state, and in their nation, and in the world. Some traits of the the Spirit-filled person are living a life that is Christ-centered, living a life that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit, living a life that is not ashamed to introduce others to Jesus, living an effective prayer life, striving to understand God's word and doing all they can to trust and obey the Lord God Almighty. My friends, no one ever experienced a totally victorious life from the first day they seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They grow in the grace and knowledge of God as they walk with him day by day. The Apostle Apostle John in 1 John tells us that there are three ages of a Christian, generally speaking. First, he says there's a child in Christ. He says the child in Christ is is one who knows his sins are forgiven. Then John says there's a young person in Christ. This is someone who has done battle with Satan and overcome Satan in their life. And then he says there's a father in Christ. This is the person who knows God. This is a matter of growth and time, but each of us must get started on our journey. Now the big question is, how do we do this? How can we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit and continually walk in the victorious Christian spirit-filled life? First, we must ask. I find it interesting that Jesus himself tells us the formula for asking. He says, if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus tells, that, tells us that if we want to receive the Holy Spirit in our lives, then we must be willing to ask. Asking the Father for the fullness of the Holy Spirit is no different than asking him for anything else. Jesus says that God the Father is just like any good father. He wants to give us good things. My friends, the first step in receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit 
is simply to ask God. The second step is that we must be willing to be baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. The word baptism means to immerse. Some people think that they can be sprinkled and that is sufficient. But the word literally and most correctly used means to immerse. It's the word that was used for a ship that sunk at sea. We must be willing to lose control and be absolutely, absolutely immersed in God's Holy Spirit. We must be willing to let go and let God. Many years ago, a committee of ministers were discussing having D.L. Moody serve as the evangelist in a, a citywide evangelistic campaign. Finally, a young minister who did not want to invite Moody stood up and said this, why would we invite Moody? Do you, does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? There was absolute silence in the room. And then one old gentleman stood up and he said, no, he does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. My friends, this statement should be true for all of us. The Holy Spirit should have a monopoly on us. We should all desire with our whole hearts to be 100% controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ. D.L. Moody once asked an audience, how can I get the air out of a glass? Holding an empty glass up to the, the audience. One man replied, suck it out with a pump. Moody replied, that would create a vacuum and it would shatter the glass. After many other suggestions, Moody just smiled he picked up a pitcher of water and he filled the glass to the top. There, he said, all the air is now removed. Moody then went on to say that victory in the Christian life is not about sucking out the sin here and there. Victory in the Christian life is about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about being immersed in the Holy Spirit. The word filled means fill a thing. It's like a boat full of ship excuse me, a boat full of fish or a sponge full of water. And as everyone knows, you can fill something, but it will eventually get empty or need to be refilled. And that brings us to the third thing that we must be willing to do. And that's we must be willing to be refilled. Ephesians 5.18 says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Some versions say debauchery. Although I kind of like debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here the Apostle Paul is drawing a comparison between the person who is controlled by alcohol and the one who is controlled by the Holy Spirit. For those who know anything about alcohol, they know that the effects of alcohol wear off, and if that person wants to continue feeling those effects, they must drink more alcohol. Paul is not saying that the effects of the Holy Spirit wear off, but he is saying that if we want to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, we must continually ask God to fill us. The word filled here, the verb filled here, is in the present tense, which in Greek means it's the continual tense or continual action. It means that the action must be done over and over and over. It's not a one-time thing. Ephesians 5.18 could rightly be translated, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. I do not believe that most Christians have a problem with understanding the concept of continually going back to our Heavenly Father and asking Him to fill us again. But I do think that many of us, 
have a problem with where we put Jesus in our lives. And that brings us to the fourth thing that we must do. We must be willing to make Jesus master and Lord in our lives. Jude is a one chapter book. Verse four refers to Jesus as both master and Lord. Many Christians have accepted Jesus as savior, but not as master and Lord. The two Greek words that are used here are kurios and despotes. This is the only place in scripture that Jesus is referred to as both kurios and despotes. The Greek word kurios signifies having a power or authority. It is often translated master and Lord. It refers to an owner or one to whom service is due or to an emperor. When we call Jesus our kurios, we bestow on him the title of emperor and we tell him that our service is due him. But despotes is a different matter. Despotes means one who possesses supreme authority or one who has absolute ownership or control and uncontrolled power. Our English word despot comes from this Greek word. A despot is a ruler who has absolute power, absolute authority. In our English Bible, the word despotes is often, unfortunately, often translated master or Lord, but it means way more. When we make Jesus despotes in our life, lives, we give him total authority, total control, absolute ownership. My friends, this is a matter of the will. We, mu we must will Jesus to be master and Lord in our life. The problem is simple. The, car the carnal Christian is failing to draw upon the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. He or she has not made Jesus master and Lord, both kurios and despotes. The carnal Christian cannot experience the abundant fruit-filled life because they have not made Jesus emperor and given him absolute control and authority in their life. But the spiritual person, the human being that desires with their whole heart to trust in God completely. This is the person who has Christ at the center of their life. This person has Jesus on the throne of their life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. My friends, this abundant life is a matter of the will. It is not easy to live for Jesus. It's hard work. It is you and I determining that no matter what, Jesus will be the center of our life. It takes effort to constantly surrender to God. It takes effort to constantly ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It takes effort to read the word of God on a regular basis. It takes effort to have devotions with your family. And it takes effort to pray. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is an experience that is after salvation, but it is a constant surrendering to God. A constant effort on our part to allow Jesus to be on the throne of our lives. My friends, will you allow yourself to fully surrender to Jesus? We're going to take communion in a few minutes. And Paul tells us that before we take communion, we need to take inventory. We need to examine ourselves. We need to judge ourselves. My friends, look at your own heart. Are you a natural person? Have you yet to accept Christ as your Savior? 
Are you a carnal Christian or are you a person who is striving to be filled with God's Holy Spirit? As Tim leads us in that old hymn, I surrender all, I ask you to take inventory in your life. Do whatever business you need to do with God. He is here and he wants to hear from you. The words of this song are the desire of my heart and I pray that they, are, they will become the desire of your heart. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. As we sing today, ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit and give you the strength to continue asking and growing in him. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Follow us on social media to keep up to date with church news and events.